In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Let's pray together. God, we, we come before you this morning and we hold our emptiness out before you. And today, instead of looking away from our emptiness and trying to avoid it, um, or instead of trying to, to fill the emptiness on our own, we, we bring our emptiness before you and we ask you this morning um, that in hearing your word spoken to us, God, we would know you doing a work of filling what is empty within us. God, would we know the fullness of God in our lives this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. <clears throat> so scripture describes Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, this couple that we meet here in Luke chapter 1, um, as, as being blameless, but they were barren. They were blameless, but they were barren. This was a righteous and devout couple, but still they felt emptiness. Right? They were doing everything right, and still they had a void in their life. Have you ever experienced disappointment and emptiness in your life, and you look around and you think, God, I'm, I'm doing it all right. <laughs> right? I'm following you, I'm faithful to you, I'm, I'm praying, I'm worshiping, I'm doing all of the right things. And yet this is what I'm experiencing. I've been faithful to you, so why is this happening? I imagine this is how Elizabeth and her husband Zachariah felt. Right, God, we're, we're doing all of the right things. We're following your word. We've, we've followed all of your commands. And yet we still find ourselves in this place of, of deep emptiness of longing to have a child, and now we're elderly and long past the time that our dreams could be fulfilled, and, and you haven't been faithful to us. They did everything right, and still their prayers hadn't been answered. <clears throat> for the, the people at this time, for God's people, they saw, rightfully so, they saw that the gift of life the gift of having children was a sign of God's blessing in your life, right? That again, going back to the opening pages of scripture, when God gave the blessing to the creatures and to the humans to be fruitful and to multiply, that God's people saw that that means that when there is fruitfulness, that, that God is with us and God has blessed us. But on the flip side, what this meant was that barrenness the inability to have children was perceived as a sign of God's disfavor and that something was really wrong in your life. That maybe you had sinned or somehow displeased God, that you weren't quite faithful enough. And so this is the place that Zechariah and Elizabeth found themselves. God described them as blameless and righteous, but they were experiencing a, a lack 
of his blessing according to, to how they saw things and according to how the people around them saw. But emptiness is not a sign of God's abandonment or his disapproval. We see here with Zechariah and Elizabeth who weren't doing anything wrong. Um, they were righteous, but they were still barren and left empty. And though others might have assumed they had done something wrong, and maybe even they themselves began to doubt at times, began to doubt that maybe are we not praying enough? Are we not living righteously enough? Do we maybe not have enough faith? God, what are we doing wrong? When something goes wrong in my life, a lot of times the immediate response um, that I begin to investigate and try to figure out what's going wrong, like what did I do wrong, right? Anyone else can, can kind of uh, attest to that, that something goes wrong and you automatically think, okay, like was, am I not doing the right things or have I done something wrong and so God is punishing me or withholding something from me? And then I often move on to getting frustrated with God. Right? First I start out being frustrated with myself and trying to figure out what I did wrong. And then when I can't figure that out, I look to the next best scapegoat, <laughs> which tends to be God. Right? And I look at him and I, and I say, God, you're, you're not living up to your end of this bargain that you never agreed to. <laughs> right? This bargain that I have with him that if I fulfill my side, if I do everything right, then God is gonna keep everything bad at bay, right? I think a lot of us kind of live with that, even if we don't say it out loud or mentally acknowledge it. Um, I know that's something I deal with because I, I tend to blame God when things go wrong. <laughs> Tell him, why aren't you doing the things that I thought you were supposed to be doing in my life? But like we see with Zechariah and Elizabeth, being in a state of emptiness is not a sign that you're doing something wrong. But also being righteous and doing everything right isn't a magic shield that will protect us from pain and emptiness in life. Right? This was a couple who was doing everything right and it, it didn't guarantee a good and happy life void of pain. Emptiness happens to us all. I've experienced over time that when I'm in a state of emptiness and loss, that it's not a sign of God's abandonment or disapproval, but rather the emptiness that I'm experiencing in life is, is this sacred place that gets to be filled up with the presence of God in my life. Emptiness often feels like a grave, like a yawning, empty grave, but it's, it's that location, the location of our emptiness that houses and can house the very presence of God in our lives, right at the lowest point of our lives. That's where God wants to fill, to fill and be present. And so we'll, we'll continue on with the story. You can, you can remain seated for this, but we'll continue on um, in Luke's account, beginning in verse 8. Once when he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to offer incense. 
Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute and unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had sent a vision and seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When this, his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. So Zechariah, he is part of, of the priesthood of God's people, and there are, at this point are thousands of priests. And so more of them than are strictly needed um, to serve in the temple. And so his group of priests only gets called up for two weeks out of the year to come serve in the temple. And then out of that group of priests that he's a part of, um, there's lots that are cast to find out who gets to go into uh, the sanctuary of God right in front of the Holy of Holies and to light the incense as God's people are praying to light incense that would the smoke would go up over the curtain and down to the other side to fill the Holy of Holies where the presence of God's, God dwelled. And so Zechariah, an elderly man at this point, his lot is finally drawn. It's finally his chance to go into the presence of God and to not only pray directly in front of God's presence, uh, but to lift up the prayers of all of his people. As Zechariah is there, I imagine that there are two things that he is praying for. One, I imagine it's the lifelong prayer that he's had, a prayer for a son, right? And what better place and what better time to bring this prayer before the Lord and when he gets this special opportunity, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the temple and to light the incense and pray before God. But I also imagine that with his own personal prayers, Zechariah is also feeling the weight of all of the prayers. Here in Luke it said that the whole congregation of people are gathered outside and they're all praying before the Lord. 
And Zechariah gets to be the one person who comes forward and symbolically brings all of the people's prayers before the Lord. So I imagine beyond just his own personal prayers, he's also lifting up a prayer to the Lord, uh, the prayer that God's people had been praying for centuries. God, would you send your Messiah? Would you send the one who's going to save us? And so it's here in this context as Zechariah is praying and the incense representing the prayers is being lifted up to the Lord that an angel of God appears to him. And the message that this angel had was your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. The angel Gabriel is announcing the good news, I think, for both their personal, Elizabeth and Zechariah's personal prayer and their nation's prayer. Gabriel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and this son, this son is going to prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for the Messiah. Because God is in the habit of not only answering and not only caring for the, the big cosmic needs in the world, but he also cares for our personal needs. When God acts on the large scale in creation, he takes care of the, the quote-unquote smaller things as well, the smaller human concerns. God does not overlook the small scale in his large scale work. When God was bringing about salvation for Israel and for all of creation, he wasn't too busy to also answer the prayer of this precious man and woman who had been living with emptiness for so long. There's a, a study that I came across that um, talks about the, the physical and um, neurological um, responses that happen in a mother's brain um, when a baby cries. The study says this, that hearing a baby cry activates a physiological response that cannot be controlled. MRIs taken of a mother's brain when she hears her baby's cries show that the brain lights up in, within a second. Those areas that light up are associated with empathy, compassion, and notably, alarm. But what effect does a baby crying have on their mother? Science tells us that oxytocin plays a major role in our mothering. Oxytocin is a nanopeptide hormone produced by the posterior lobe of the pituitary gland. It is often referred to as the love hormone or cuddle hormone because it is released when individuals cuddle up or bond socially. As you might imagine, mothers produce a lot of oxytocin, and research has shown that oxytocin makes us more sensitive to a baby's cry. The response time to a crying baby is almost twice as fast as most other sounds because the instinct is so strong to respond. When a mother cannot reach her baby and calm the crying in a matter of seconds, she may, be, may begin to feel frustration and even anger. This is why hearing children cry on a plane or in a restaurant is so triggering for most of us. When we hear it and cannot respond, there is a physiological response within us. 
However, when we are able to calm and comfort the baby, our own reward and pleasure areas light up. Our brain physically rewards the act of comforting and caring for a child. And it doesn't even have to be your own baby. Hearing any baby cry will make your brain look like Christmas. It seems we are hardwired from birth for this to be a trigger meant to make us act quickly, and it is a very effective design. It doesn't matter how busy, how important a conversation she might be in, how deep in sleep a mother might be, or whatever else is occupying her attention. One cry is all it takes, right? And this automatic response happens in the brain and then begins to happen in the body. But how much more with God, right? How much more with God? that he is not too preoccupied with anything going on in the world, that when you cry out to him, that he doesn't hear and he doesn't immediately come to your aid. One cry is all it takes. He sees you, he hears you, he cares about you, and he cares about the pain you're experiencing in your life. There is not some scale that he's holding with the importance of, of all of creation and then your need, right? He's not balancing the scale and saying, like, I hear you cry, but it's not really as important as all this other stuff I'm doing over here. God hears your cry and he responds. So whoever needs to hear this today, in the words of the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, God hears your prayers. They have risen up to him like incense, rising up in the temple. He sees you, he hears you, and sometimes this simple but profound message is the message we most need to hear. God has heard your prayers. He's not too busy with more important things, and in the midst of all that he's doing in the world and in history, all it takes is one cry and he cares so deeply for you that he stoops down low to listen. God has heard your prayers. We'll continue reading verses 26 through 45. In the sixth month of the angel, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be, a, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God, and now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed are the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that this mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So we go from one miraculous birth announcement to another. This time it's Elizabeth's young cousin Mary, and she's visited by the same angel Gabriel and told that she too will have a child. Elizabeth was too old. Mary hadn't had sex. So both of these are biological impossibilities, right? Biologically impossible situations. Their emptiness had no human way of being filled, but God. Nothing is impossible with God. When things seem impossible, we sometimes try to figure out how we can learn to live with the emptiness, right? How many of you have um, ever been working, or maybe chronically when you're working, you forget to eat? You forget to eat lunch? Right, there's some of you that happens to you regularly, and then the other half of you here in the room are like, how could you ever forget to eat lunch? <laughs> right, because what happens when we haven't eaten Right, the emptiness in us triggers a response, right? It triggers a response of hunger pains and grumbling in our stomach. But did you know that all it takes is 20 to 40 minutes of ignoring that hunger pain and it'll go away, right? When we ignore the emptiness, oftentimes the feeling of pain will leave us. But the emptiness still remains and we still need it to be filled, right? But we can, we can try to, to ignore, to look away from the emptiness in our life, especially when it feels like it's an emptiness that has no way of being filled. When things seem impossible, we can tend to put the blinders on and just try not to pay attention to it. Are there areas in your life where you have given up hope? gotten used to the emptiness, adjusted to living with the, the yawning emptiness within your life. Maybe you just gotten used to maneuvering around the edges so you don't bump into it. And as long as you are able to ignore it, it feels like it doesn't hurt quite as bad. Elizabeth could have given up on the emptiness. She was too old for her dream to come true. Her window for a miracle had closed a long time ago, but yet hope persisted in her life. She let the emptiness stay, she didn't ignore it, and she and Zechariah continued to cry out to the Lord. They continued to bring that emptiness before him like an offering, saying, God, this is all I've got to give you, and so I'm going to give you my emptiness. 
and I'm going to continue to cry out to you and ask you to fill it. Don't give up on the emptiness and the longing for God to fill it. Even when it seems impossible, because God is in the habit of doing the impossible. The birth of John and the birth of Jesus attest to this fact, that God does the impossible. And then when we look at, um, we go back and look at two verses, in verse 34 and 41, in verse 34, we see Mary, when the, the angel came to her. Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then we see in verse 41, we have Elizabeth when she greets Mary. She heard Mary's greeting, and the child leaped within her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary and Elizabeth didn't just have empty wombs that needed to be filled with a child. God instead chose to also grace them by filling them with his Holy Spirit, by filling them with his very presence in their lives. Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit and the language that Gabriel uses to describe the Holy Spirit coming on her and overshadowing, overshadowing her is like the language again in Genesis when God came to the empty world and he hovered over it. That, that God brings his presence to bring about creation and here in Mary's life, he was doing a work of new creation. God's presence was there in Genesis to create Adam and to create Eve, and now his presence overshadows Mary's life to bring about a new Adam, right? To bring about Jesus, the, the firstborn of God's new creation that would make a way for humanity. And this language of, of, of God coming on her, the Holy Spirit coming on her and overshadowing her, is also the language that we see in the Old Testament that described God's presence coming onto the tabernacle when the people of God were walking around in the desert. God's presence was with them, overshadowing them. And here, that's what we see in Mary's life. God's presence filling her like he filled the tabernacle. And he filled Elizabeth, too, with the Holy Spirit so that she has this prophetic spirit in order to interpret what is going on, what is happening not only in her life, but what's happening in her young cousin Mary's life. The Holy Spirit comes on Mary and Elizabeth and fills them in a way that they are able to see and interpret what God is doing when his work is still in its infancy stage, or even younger than that, right? Like embryonic stage when people can't see it but they had the Holy Spirit's insight in their lives to be able to see and know that God was at work in their lives, bringing about salvation that would be for the entire world. May we be like Mary and like Elizabeth, to be a people who are filled with God's Holy Spirit and to be able to be given insight into what God is doing so that even in the dark days, even in the dark seasons of our life, when things are unclear, that we would have the ability to hear God's words and to believe them, to hear his promise, 
and to hold on to it because God's spirit is filling us. And so Elizabeth, who had had an empty womb for years, was filled with a child, but she was also filled with the Holy Spirit. He filled her longing, but he didn't just fill her longing with a child. He filled her longing with his very presence in her life. Because the filling we really need is God's presence. More than circumstantial changes, we need him. It's like this song that says, more than anything you can do, I just want you. <laughs> Nothing else will do. Right? God knows that that longing, that emptiness that we have, is something that only he can fill. And so he gives us the gift of his presence, his spirit residing in us. God fills our emptiness with his presence. And then we'll continue on with verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Mary's song here is all about a great reversal. She praises God for, first off, for choosing her. And this uh, quote from a, um, a Bible commentator says that she, Mary, is among the most powerless people in her society. She is young in a world that values age, female in a world ruled by men, poor in a stratified economy. Furthermore, she has neither husband nor child to validate her existence. That she should have found favor with God and be highly gifted shows Luke's understanding of God's activity as surprising and often paradoxical, almost always reversing human expectations. Mary realizes that her reversal from being a person that nobody would notice and no one would call blessed to being a woman that she sings that all generations are going to call her blessed she realizes that this reversal is not just something that was for her, but this reversal was a sign of what God was wanting to do in all of creation through the gift of the son that she was carrying. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly, is what she sings. Because God is at work reversing the way things are. The powerful will be brought low and the lowly raised up so that all will find their place in God's kingdom. Right? That God does this reversal, this leveling in his kingdom. And she says that he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Because in God's kingdom, the hungry are filled and the full are left hungry. And so the good news to you and to us is that if you are empty right now, 
you are in the perfect position to be filled. Your emptiness doesn't exclude you from God's kingdom. It is precisely this type of people, a people who are hungry, the empty, the needy, the ones who are left longing, that God promises to meet in his kingdom. And for the rich, I don't think that God sending them away empty is a punishment, a punishment specifically for their riches. I think that them going away empty is just a natural consequence. Because the rich came before God and they were already full. They had their hands already filled up. And so they didn't have the space in their lives to receive the gift that God wanted to give them. But when the hungry come before God, their hands are open and empty and they can receive the gift of God, the gift of his presence. But those of us who come to God already holding on to all that we have are gonna walk away with the, the emptiness still there because we don't have hands outstretched to receive the gift he wants to give us. And so God doesn't need to punish the rich for their wealth. It's just a natural consequence of not having a life open to the gift that God wants to give. So if you're full, all of us who are full have to learn a posture of open hands before God. Open hands before a God who longs to fill us. For me, my, my personal posture oftentimes when I'm praying is to have open hands because I know that I can so often fill my life with things of my own making and my own work. And when I come before the Lord, I have to, to be in a posture to remind myself that I've got to let go of all of those things if I want to receive the gift that God wants to give. I've got to let go of my self-reliance. I've got to get low, um, release the, the, the feeling of my own adequacy in order to receive the gift that God wants to give to me. Tish Harrison Warren in her book, Advent, says this. She says, we cannot run from the emptiness in our lives. Instead, we wait for it to be filled in the right time and in the right way. We tend to rush to try to fill our emptiness. Cheap attempt, and creating a, a cheap attempt at creating a sense of fullness. Advent recalls that the emptiness in the world and our own lives can't be stated with hurry, buying power, social media likes, fame, success, politics, or even religiosity. We wait with Mary, with Elizabeth, and with all of creation for our emptiness to be filled. So the arrival of Jesus means a filling of the empty places. And so may we be a people who have open hands and an open heart to receive the fullness of God in our lives. Would we be a people who come before the Lord and, and we lay down the things that we've been hanging on to that take up more space in our life, a, a space that God is meant to fill? Right? Would we not rush to, to try to fill our emptiness with anything, but instead wait with that emptiness and, and having a faith and a hope that as we continue to bring that emptiness before the Lord, he is 
faithful to hear our prayers. God has heard your prayer. And more than a circumstantial change, God wants to fill you with his very presence. God, we, we thank you this morning for, for the gift of, of Jesus Christ, for the gift of, of your presence with us, of you, the fullness of all that you are, dwelling here with us. God, the, the fullness of all you are, and you're longing to fill us with that. God, we thank you that, that in the, the spaces and places of our life that, that feel empty, God, we, we thank you that we can turn to you and you are a God who hears our cry and stoops low. You are a God who is not too busy to hear our cries, but you are a God who longs to do a work of creation in the empty places. You are a God who longs to give us the gift of yourself. And so for those of us who are empty this morning, God, we pray that we would be filled even now to the full with your Holy Spirit. Lord, for those of us who, who feel a, a sense of fullness, we ask that you would do a work in us to make room. God, that, that you would make room and, and remove those things that are a barrier, that are are um, unnaturally filling our lives and keeping you at bay. And we pray that as you do that work of emptying, God, we would know the gift of, of you filling us with yourself. And Lord, that this wouldn't be something that would just stay with us or stay in us, but your filling in us would be something that would overflow to the world around us. God, would, would you seep out of us like light through a lantern to, to give light to the world around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.